Okay, last week we started a series simply titled The Church. And in this series, we're trying to answer some questions about the church that have become, I think, particularly important uh, the last couple years. You know, among all the changes that have happened in our world, there are a lot of cultural changes that, that have happened, and a lot of people are wondering what the church is. Does the church even really matter any, anymore? Is it important? Does it need to be a part of my life? And in our nation, more people than ever are just walking away from church. And uh, I had another conversation, one of many conversations that I've had the last couple years um, with a, a pastor, and he told me about a meeting that he'd had with someone who'd been a member of his church for many, many, many years, and this person had been uh, really involved, had been on leadership teams, had just been a big, big supporter, contributor to the church, and even on, on leadership teams at some point, but had just decided, along with their whole family, just to, to no longer be connected with a local church. Were they walking away from Jesus? No. But they just decided, we're not going to be a part of a church anymore, for no real particular reason. This is very, very common, and it has, has been happening so much that some of the top Christian thinkers and, and leaders in the church are even predicting, like we talked about last week, they're predicting the, the demise of the old way of doing church. And typically, every so often um, in our church, we'll do, we'll do a vision series where we kind of look at where we're going as a church and what the next few months, years going to look like, what we're, we're all about, all that kind of stuff. Well, this series isn't really that. Um, there'll be a little bit of that at some point in the series where we talk about um, our church and, and where we're going as, as CTK Ferndale. But what this series is really more about is it's really about kind of getting back to the basics, clearing away all the extras, and rediscovering what the church really is when you get right down to it. Is it just some, some old institution that no longer has relevance in today's modern world? You know, is it just a boring hour-long service that I go to because my parents make me or because I just am desperate for some kind of spiritual boost? Is, church, um, is it church if I'm watching some guy online in a different part of the, the world? Or do I need to be in, in, the, in a church in the place that I live? Is it church if I'm reading a devotional with some friends? Or, or do I need to be under a pastor or leadership of some type? What is the church? And these are a lot of questions that, that people are asking, especially, especially today. And uh, there are, are, are about 2.4 billion people on the planet that would consider themselves Christians. But if you were to ask them what the church is, you would get uh, a lot of different answers. And my hope for us in this series is that each of us will gain a renewed sense of, of vision when it comes to the church. And that through this, we would also get a, a new sense of commitment to see our church flourishing and growing in, in every way imaginable. And I want to spend most of our time this morning in a portion of Scripture written by Peter. Peter, for those of you that grew up Catholic, was the first pope <laughs> for the rest of us. Um, he's that grubby, quick-tempered, spineless fisherman that Jesus called a rock and decided to uh, invite him to follow him. And Peter, Peter, who was a leader in the early church, um, wrote letters to the church. And in this particular portion that we're going to read this morning, he's writing a letter to the church that's scattered across ancient Asia. And it's clear from the content of this letter that this church that he's writing to has been under a lot of suffering and persecution. And so Peter writes to encourage them. And although our suffering 
as a whole today is different than what it was back then. It's, it's fair to say that the church today is suffering. It's facing more hate. It's, it, it's, uh, people are walking away from the church more than ever. People are discouraged. And, and so what does Peter say to the church to encourage them? Well, he reminds them who they are. And it's like he's saying to them, what you need right now more than anything is to be reminded what it means to be the church. You need to remember who you are. And so if you'd like to follow along this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to start by reading in verse 4. It says this, As you come to him, the living stone, Peter's referring to Jesus here, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem to be too helpful in helping us know who we are as the church, living stones, what in the world is he talking about there, holy priesthood, when we think of priesthood, we think of the guys in black robes and white collars who never get married, and then he talks about offering spiritual sacrifices, what in the world is that? We're going to get into that in just a minute. Um, but Peter goes on to write, he says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay in Zion, or sorry, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And Peter, he's referring to Jesus and how he's foundational in this house that he's building. And how not everyone is going to accept him. Many, in fact, will actually reject him. And then he, he closes the section by saying, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So what is the church? What is the church? And, and today, when you, when, you, when you strip everything down to the bare essentials of what the church is, the church is really two things. And, and the first is this. The church is the people of God. It's the people of God. And, and in order to make sense of what Peter is writing about in these verses, where, where he talks about living stones, a holy nation, a holy royal priesthood, you actually have to go all the way back to the Old Testament story. It's the story where God comes along and, and God chose the people of Israel from among all the nations of the earth to be his people. He looks at Israel and he goes, I'm going to choose you. I was in college way, way back in the day when Becky and I first met. And Becky didn't go to the same college that I went to. But she was actually known by a lot of, of the guys in my college and uh, there were a lot of guys that I knew who were very interested in her and were hoping that this, this, this cute, fun-loving, vivacious girl, I went to college up in Canada and she had just moved from, from California to Canada. A lot of guys liked her, but as I pursued her, the unimaginable happened. She actually decided to go out with me 
And you could say that she chose me to be her man from among all the other guys that she, she could have said yes to. And it was like that with God when he chose Israel. Why did he choose Israel? He didn't choose Israel because Israel was the smartest or the wealthiest or the largest. No, we read in Scripture that it was simply because he loved her. Moses in Deuteronomy 7 reminds the people of Israel this. He says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were actually the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. But, but here's the thing. When God chose Israel to be his people, he, he actually had a, a, a plan in mind that didn't just include Israel. It was much bigger than that. His plan, as he first shared it to Abraham, the man who was the father of Israel, his plan was that, that through Israel, that God would bless many. All the nations would be blessed. And the blessing which was brought through the work of Jesus on the cross is that you and I would now be included in what it means to be the people of God. And so when Peter writes his letter, he's writing to Gentile believers, believers who didn't have any Jewish ancestry, and he uses all this Old Testament imagery, imagery that had been reserved up to that time for the Israelites only. And he describes them, though, as a holy royal priesthood, a chosen people, God's special possession, the people of God. And this is so important for, for you and I to understand today that being part of the church isn't primarily about showing up to meetings. It's not about buildings or rituals. No, being a part of the church is about being the people of God. It's about being caught up in what some authors have called the sacred romance where we know God and He knows us, where we listen to Him, we adore Him, we worship Him, we follow Him, we're on mission with Him, we serve Him, we lay our lives down for Him. And it's, it's about doing all of this. And it's not about doing it alone. It's about doing it as the people of God. It's about be, being in and doing it in community, worshiping and following Jesus alongside of others. One of the fundamental questions that, that we all ask throughout most of our lives, but probably especially in our, in our youth, one of the questions that we ask all the time is, is, who am I? Who am I? And how that question gets answered is actually a lot different in the Western world than it is in a lot of the rest of the world. In the Western world, when we think of that question, who am I, where do we, where, where do we go? We go to, okay, well, here's, here's my character, and here, here's some of my character strengths, some of my character weaknesses, here's my unique personality, here's my my, my gift mix and some of my skills and here's what I do in my career and, and it's all about who? It's about, it's about me. Who am I? And when you go to other cultures though, uh, including the culture that the church was born in, the biblical culture, they answer that question rather than, rather than answering it individually, they answer it communally. They answer it by talking about their community that gives them their identity. And because we're so individual-focused here in, in our nation, it distorts our idea of what it means to be followers of Jesus. We even call it, what, a personal relationship with Jesus. A phrase which, by the way, is found nowhere in the Bible. And here's what you need to know when it comes to the church. You're not saved individually 
and then choose to join the church as if it were some kind of support group to help you on your journey of following Jesus. No, instead, you're saved when by faith you become part of the people for whom Christ died. Did you catch that? Because it's so important. You're saved when by faith you become part of the people for whom Christ died. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become part of the church. A member of God's household, as Scripture says. The church is the people of God. And not only is the church the people of God, the church is it's the house of God. Peter, in, in our text here, he, he, earlier on, he refers to us as living stones being built into a spiritual house with the foundation or cornerstone being Jesus. And again, Peter here, he's, he's alluding back to the Old Testament Hebrew imagery where, where they would go to a, a, a house or a temple, a structure where God's presence dwelled. And because God is, is so holy, and, and we're not, in this, this temple that they set up, sometimes it was a tent, eventually became an actual temple, a structure that was built of actual stones. But in this temple, they, there, was, they were, they were, there was a large curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. But when Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that the temple veil actually describes this in the Gospels, how the temple veil that separated the people from God, it, it was torn in two, two from top to bottom. And God's saying that, that the way has been made through the blood of Christ. There no, no longer needs to be separation between God and His people. In fact, it will get even better. In Acts chapter 2, God comes along and He pours out His Spirit on the people of God. And now, there's, it's not just, just that there's no longer separation. Now His Spirit lives inside of us. He makes his home in us. Now the people of God are no longer just the people of God. Now they, they are also the house of God. God now lives inside of the church. He would no longer be confined to the four walls of, of a building. And it's amazing, though, how 2,000 years later, we're still thinking that there's something holy about this, this building. In fact, somewhere along the way, we got so focused on the building that we, we thought it was so special, and there's just something about this building. Somewhere along the way, we got so off track that we even started calling this building what? The church. So off track. You see, here's what happened. Let me just give you a little bit of, of church history today. Really, for the first 300 years of the church, the church was, it, it, it was, it was fairly informal. Um, believers would meet in homes. They would have these big meals that they would call love feasts, which were very similar to what we would call potluck dinners today. After the meal, they would sing some songs, they'd read some scriptures, and they'd share communion with each other. But then everything changed when the Roman emperor Constantine, way back in, in the 300s, as emperor, he converted to Christianity. All of a sudden, the people in power, what they did is they brought all their ideas of what worship should have been they brought all those pagan ideas to christianity and it began influencing the church soon the church began to build all these big fancy uh, ornate cathedrals similar to the pagan temples of the day elements of the roman imperial protocol were incorporated things like incense 
robes, jewelry, processionals, large choirs and pageantry, all these became a part of the church. And the church, along with its worship, became formal. A separation between the clergy and the laity formed. Uh, the clergy were all of a sudden the professionals, and the laity, they just became spectators. Um, Andy Stanley, uh, he points out in his book, Deep and Wide, that within a short period of time, around the year 400 AD, the church actually stopped being an ever-expanding community of believers, and instead, it became a location. It became a building. And whoever controlled the building now controlled the church. Pretty soon, things would get, get even worse. Whoever controlled the building controlled the scriptures. And by the Middle Ages in Europe, the, the Bible literally was chained to the pulpit. The only people that had scriptures were the clergy. Not, nobody had it. There was no such thing as people owning a Bible or, or having a Bible in their homes. The church had, be, had become the, 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 the only people that had it. Not only that, the church had become wed to the state, becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire. They had immense power over governments, holding great wealth and prestige. Pretty soon, the, the church just completely spiraled out of control. Horrific acts of care were committed in the name of Christ. And through all of this, people totally lost sight of how the church was never meant to be about a building. It was never meant to be about a location. It was never meant to be about political power. If that's what Jesus wanted, he would have come and built a location, built a castle, established himself as an earthly, earthly king, but he didn't. Why? Because he was never after that when he built his church. He was after something much, much different. He, he was going to build a house. He was going to build a house stone by stone by stone to contain his presence. Only the stones were never going to be limestone and granite. They were going to be people, believers, you and me, which is why Peter comes along and he proclaims you also like living stones, not dead stones. You're like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's this, um, was this, this German the theologian who was uh, part of the resistance during the World War II and, and stood up against Hitler and ended up actually being murdered by the Nazis. He wrote a, a number of books. In his most famous book, maybe some of you have read it, it's a book called The Cost of Discipleship. But he also wrote another lesser-known book simply called Life Together. And in this book, he... he he talks about the church, and he talks about what it means to, to, to live together and be in community. And he, he has this line in there that's just so powerful. He says, this, he says this about the church. He says, the church is neither a historical entity nor institution, but is Christ existing as church community. The church is not about this historical institution or this location or building. The church is Christ existing. It's Christ living and breathing and moving and working in our world through church community. You see, at its core, you and I, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are the church, and we carry the presence of Christ with us. We carry the presence of Christ in us, 
So much so that the scripture even declares this in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, now you are the body of Christ. That's carrying the presence of Christ with us. When, when scripture comes along and says, you carry his presence so much so that you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Not only are you a part of the body of Christ, Scripture goes on to say that, that He wants to, 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 to use your life to work in my life, and He wants to use my life to work in your life, so much so that, uh, that Scripture says, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. The church, that's us, is the people of God. We're His. We're bought with a price. We're cherished. We're treasured. We're like, we're, we're treasured much like a groom treasures his bride. And the church is the house of God, filled with His Spirit, fully alive like Christ. And there, there's a, a lot of implications for us um, based off of what we just heard, but I just want to close this morning by giving you just a few. First one is this. You were never intended to live out your faith in isolation. You were never intended to live out your faith in isolation. I love what, what John Stott, this author, says. He says, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for His purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity. It's not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build His church, that is, to call out of the world a people for His own glory. That's the church. And we've moved away in modern times from the importance of the church to the importance of the individual. And pretty soon we're, we're thinking that we can do this alone, that church is like this like afterthought. It's like an appendix. We don't really even know what it's there for, but it, it, it's there and it must be helpful. But if it doesn't seem necessary, if it gets in the way, then we just we discard it and throw it to the side. But that's not what the church is. The church is God's people. It's his new community that he's called out to proclaim his glory in the world in which we live. You're never intended. You were never intended to live out your faith in isolation. Next implication for us is this. The church will be missing something if you're not a part of it. The church will be missing something if you're not a part of it. There's so many people who, who make the mistake of just thinking that somehow they're dispensable when it comes to the life of their church. That if they're not connected, that it doesn't really matter. That it doesn't really affect anything or it's not going to really have any kind of impact. But I want you to know that that is simply not true. It's not true. Your life impacts other people's lives. It just does. You know, the older I get, the more, I don't know what it is with age, but the, the, more, the older I get, the more I realize that that even the, the, the smallest acts that we sometimes think are just inconsequential, they actually have tremendous, tremendous lasting impact, more than we could ever think. Your life, your connection, 
your engagement, the, the way that you are around others, it matters. Paul says this in, in, as he's writing a letter to the, the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, when he's talking about the church as the, the body of Christ, he says, um, and he compares the body to, to our physical bodies, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable in the parts that we think are less honorable we treat. Saying here is it doesn't it does not matter how 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 dispensable you think you are. You're just you're not. Your life matters and, and the church is missing something if you decide to just completely disconnect from it. You know, a body, my body, my physical body, if, if you were to chop off my arm, you know, my body could still function without my arm. It could still function if, if I didn't have sight or hearing, but, but it's not the way that my body was designed to function. And, and, and you are needed. You're needed. The church will be missing something if you're not a part of it. And the last thing is this, and we're going to get into this more in the next couple of weeks, but how we connect isn't as important as making sure that we connect. You could also say how we engage with our church is, 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 isn't as important as making sure that we are engaged with our church. And, and I don't think, I could be wrong, um, time will tell, but, but I don't think the right question for us to be asking right now is, is online church or in-person church the way to go? Is there a right way or is there a wrong way? And, and, and maybe that's where you're at. You need to be sorting that out with, with, with Jesus. But I think the better questions for us to be asking are, okay, am I building meaningful community with like-minded believers? You know, that's a great question for, for all of us to be asking. Whether you, you've been showing up here on, on Sundays or not, are you building meaningful community with other like-minded believers? I think another good question for us to be asking is, is, am I being trained and equipped to serve others? Because the Bible makes it very clear, like from this passage that we just read, that, that I have some kind of function that God has, He's somehow gifted me. There's, there's a job that I have to do within my church community and am I being trained and equipped to use that to serve others? Another good question to be asking is, is am I being discipled? Am I growing in my faith alongside of other people? Am I being, am, am I connecting? And how am I connecting? You see, we, we are the, we, we're, we're God's plan A in, in the world today, the church. We're the people of God. We're the house of God. And, and God is, is at work and wants to be at work in each one of us. And, and I encourage you, wherever you're at, to be, to be asking Jesus, Lord, am I connecting in the way that you want me to connect to my church? Lord, am I, am I seeing myself as part of a larger group of people on mission in this world, or am I simply seeing myself as an isolated follower of you? Am I simply seeing myself as somebody who's just this, this individual out there trying, to, trying to, to, to follow Jesus on my own? How are you seeing yourself? 
And, and I believe God today, he wants to remind us that we are not called to live out our faith on our own, that we are not, um, we are not dispensable, but we, we are a part of a body. We are part of a group of people that have been called to be the people of God, the community of God that is living out our faith, that is, that is, that is Jesus in the world in which, which we live today. And, and as we close today, um, I would love it if we just have a moment just to, to ask Jesus some questions. Lord, am I, how am I seeing myself? Or am I seeing myself connected or disconnected? God, am I engaging like you want me to engage? Or, or, or have I just let myself slip? Have I let myself just become isolated and alone? And I believe that God is calling us today to, to re-engage and to re reconnect and, and to see ourselves as his people, as his community in this world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, God, I just, I, today, Lord, I just want to, God, pray for our church community. God, for each person that is watching today and listening to this. And God, I pray that today, that God, through your word, God, that this would be a, just a reminder, Lord, of who we are. God, we are your people. God, we are not just individuals that have been saved, but God, we are your people, God, who have been called out of this world, who have been called as we read in, in, in 1 Peter, God, we've been called to proclaim your praises, to proclaim your goodness, to make known the wonders and the beauty of who you are in this world. And God, I pray for the person, God, who has, who maybe has, is listening today, and they're going, yes, I have become isolated. God, I pray that this would be such an encouragement, that God, they'd be reminded that God, they are not alone, but God, that they are a part of a people. God, they are a part of a greater community God, that, that is following you and serving you, God, here in this, this, com this community of Ferndale. God, may that bring so much encouragement. And Lord, I also pray, Jesus, that, that Lord, we would be, um, God, just also encouraged and stirred, God, remembering, God, that we are, we are the, your, your house, that, God, you have made, uh, you, you filled us, God, with your presence, you filled us with your spirit, and God, that you are God, that you are empowering us and working in us and through us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are inside of us. And Jesus, I pray that, that Lord, you, you would help us, God, Lord, as we navigate, God, even just with all the changes and all the, the differences, God, in, in the world today, God, help us as we navigate what it means to be connected to your church, God, what it means to be connected to a church, what it means to, to serve you and to follow you, God, help us as we navigate what that means. And I pray, Jesus, for our church. God, there's a lot of us, God, myself included, especially coming out of this last few weeks, that are just feeling, um, God, beat up. God, feeling discouraged. God, feeling isolated and alone. And I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, right now in this moment, that, God, you would just let us know that, God, you're for us, that you would let us know that Jesus, you are not done with us, that God, you would let us know that there is hope, there's always hope in you. And, 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 and work in us. We invite you, Jesus, to work in us and work through us, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Evie's going to lead us in one last song today, and, and I just encourage you to make this song your prayer. It's an invitation to God to let his wind, his fresh wind blow through us. And as she sings this song, you might want to sing along, or you might just want to, wherever you're at this morning, just let it wash over you. And, but just make this your prayer.
God, we need a fresh wind. God, not just me, not just I, not just I need a fresh wind, but God, we, your church, we need your wind, we need your spirit to blow in and through us. God, that your name might be lifted high in our homes, that your name might be lifted high in our city. God, that your name might be lifted high in our nation, in our world. God, let your wind blow through us, we pray. It's been great having